Well, welcome to week three of our new series. Perhaps the most powerful teaching that Jesus ever delivered was his Sermon on the Mount. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, in chapters five to seven. In it, Jesus remarks on, among other things, how to have personal integrity. He says, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Integrity? Well, that's the resolve and courage to do the right and noble thing, even if it costs you. So why is this so important? Well, in another piece of biblical wisdom in the book of Proverbs, it says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their own duplicity. That is, for the upright who want to do the right thing, to be like Jesus, integrity is their filter. It's their guiding principle. It helps them when there is a difficult decision to be made. I think most people, most Christians, would probably say that they are a good, upright person. But how can you know for sure? Well, ask yourself, when you have a difficult decision to make, what guides you? Is it what will make you look good? Or is it what feels good to you at the time? Is it guided by what your friends say is the best thing to do? Or maybe by what gets you the best financial outcome? Perhaps you consult the zodiac, your star sign. We all like to think that integrity, doing the right and noble thing, guides us. But I don't think we really know until making the right choice is going to cost us, when it impacts our relationships, our social status, our reputation, or our finances. If you were with us for church at home or church in person last week, you would have heard Marcy's story of acting with integrity in her workplace, which could have cost her her job. As a family, we were already under financial pressure at that time. I'd just left a banking career to pass the gateway part-time, and our mortgage rate was 17%. Say that again slowly. 17%. In the same week that she had to choose to do the right thing, our refrigerator packed it in. And it was just before Christmas. And it was the first time we'd hosted both families in our new home, so it was full of food. But we had no savings to buy a new one. It was going to cost about $1,800. So a choice had to be made. Do we continue to do the right thing and maybe lose her job? Or look the other way and keep it? Do we do the right thing, maybe lose our home, or look the other way and keep it? Do we do the right thing, (laughs) ruin Christmas, or look the other way, keep her job and buy the fridge? And how to replace the refrigerator? Should we skip giving to Gateway for a month to buy it? Make no mistake, these were tough decisions, but we wanted to do the right thing. So I remember we prayed, Lord, we're going to stand up for what's right and confront Marcy's employer. We're also going to honour our commitment to you and give regular offerings to our church. So God, please show up for us. You're going to have to do a miracle here. I'll share the end of that story in a minute. Have you ever observed someone's life? Maybe a family member or a friend? 
where their life was really dominated by some bad influence or addictive behavior. You know, you can see the train wreck they're facing down the track, but they can't. This behavior of theirs, this appetite seems unquenchable and it's taking priority in their life. If only they'd played the movie forward, they could avoid personal disaster. But they don't. Now, you might be able to understand their actions because of what you know happened in their life, but it's no less tragic and sad and very destructive. This appetite could be chemical, like alcohol or drugs. It could be psychological, involving pride or lust. It could be relational, like selfishness or entitlement, or even financial, like greed or just a desire to have more. Whatever it is, it's destroying them. And an appetite, well, that's something that keeps you from doing what you ought to do and puts your life out of sync with what's right. It threatens your integrity. Now, we all have a variety of appetites that compete with our ability to act with integrity, like the appetite for acceptance, or intimacy, inclusion, respect, recognition and achievement, or a desire to prove others wrong about us, to cause others to envy us, to be a winner. And here's the thing about appetites. They don't play the long game. They don't like to wait. They drive us to do it now, quick, today. Appetites, you see, are not fans of delayed gratification. They tempt us to want the immediate over the ultimate, the now over the later. You see, doing the right thing, acting with integrity, may actually slow things down. And often the most direct route isn't always the most ethical route. And so you feel that tension, the stress, the temptation to act to avoid the problem. So we fudge, we lie, we avoid, we look the other way. We don't start out to do it that way. But the reason we do, well, it's a means to an end. Cue appetite. There's a story in the Bible about appetite. It involves twin brothers Jacob and Esau and can be found in the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Jacob was the younger brother. He was born moments after Esau, so technically he should be mentioned second, like the story should be Esau and Jacob. But something happened, something so terrible, that forever the story is known as Jacob and Esau. It's a story of how appetites got in the way of integrity and cost one brother big time. These brothers were grandsons of Abraham, yet that one, the father of Isaac, Esau and Jacob's dad. Now, as the older brother, Esau would one day inherit the lion's share of the family wealth. He was also his father Isaac's favorite son, so everything was given to him without effort. And he had something else known as birthright, privileges above all other family members, where your word, your decisions were law. You were the authority in the family. You were mightily blessed. These brothers were very different. Esau was a skilled hunter, a man's man. And Jacob, well, he wasn't. He just hung around at home and cooked food. 
Uh, in his time and culture, men didn't do that. One day Esau came home from an extended time of hunting wild game and he was famished. He was actually more than famished. The closest we'd get to it today is to say he was hangry. And Jacob, he just cooked a red stew and the smell was wafting over the campsite. Esau comes home famished, hangry and also entitled. And his appetite for food ultimately his appetite for the family to serve his needs as well, is fully engaged. And like most little brothers, Jacob sees an opportunity to get an advantage over his big brother. I'll tell you how that story ends soon, but first let me finish the story of the fridge that saved Christmas. Remember, Marcy chose to do what she and I believe was the right thing, to act with integrity though the cost of this decision may have meant no job and no fridge and therefore a ruined Christmas. The school board found in Marcy's favour, restored her job at the right level of pay and paid back pay, which we weren't even expecting. And you guessed it, it was almost the exact amount needed to pay for the new fridge that saved Christmas. God showed us that it's always the right time to be upright to act with integrity. Now back to the terrible twins. Esau says, give me some of your stew, quick, I'm starving to death. Jacob knows Esau is not endowed with wisdom and will do pretty much anything to get Jacob to serve his needs. So Jacob says, okay, but first give me your birthright as the firstborn. The birthright, as I said, gave you authority and position in the family and in the future great wealth. So Esau thinks, what good is a birthright to me if I'm dead and I'm starving? You could say that he thought, what good is a birthright to me right now? I only get that later in life anyway, and my father is still alive. And in any case, regardless of birthright, I'm his favourite. I'm starving now. My birthright won't come until later. So Esau impatiently and with short-sightedness says, okay, okay, I swear you can have my birthright. He traded his future for a bowl of stew. Literally, it means he despised his birthright. He ate, didn't think, and just walked off. I mean, who would do that? If someone sat down, played the movie forward, sought wise counsel and thought things through, who would do that? And that's Esau's problem. He didn't think it through, but instead followed his appetites. An appetite for food, yes, but that just blinded him to the unhealthy entitled appetite that said, I am Esau and I want it now. So he traded his future for a bowl of stew. Who would do that? Would you do that? What would cause you to do something that would jeopardise your future because you want what you can have now? An appetite. That's what makes you go against all advice. An uncontrolled appetite. Ever been in a situation where people who love you, who care for you, who do life with you, are showing concern about what you're doing or about to do and you're like, ah, it's no big deal. You know, the drugs you take because you can, 
You like the buzz, but it's your body, right? The relationship you have that everybody else knows is toxic, but it's it's your decision, right? Or the porn you watch late at night. It's not hurting anyone. It's no big deal, right? Here's something I learned the hard way. We decide we don't care when it's too late to care. We decide it really wasn't all that important after the fact, after we've discounted its importance through what we've already just done. The Bible says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. After the fact, there's nothing we can do but defend ourselves and try to justify our actions. We decide, like Esau, it wasn't a big deal. We create a story in which we're the star, the victim, if you like, and then we believe our own story. I mean, what else could I do? I didn't have a choice, did I? And here's the saddest part. Very few people own up to their own stuff. And as a result, history often repeats itself, and it leads to many other issues for that person. Why? You can't be yourself as long as you lie to yourself. The end of their story, after Esau's lack of integrity and Jacob's deceit, is a family line torn by conflict, division, fear and betrayal for decades. And here's something else I learned the hard way. Life is never just about me or you. Lack of integrity affects everyone around us, directly because of what you do and indirectly as you show yourself to be unwise, a person with no appetite control. Now the good news is that through Jesus, there is always a way back, always a second chance. But you have to seek it. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Devotion to Jesus will gradually strengthen you to be in control of your appetites but you rarely get back that which you traded away for a bowl of stew. It's not unforgivable, but it is irretrievable. You can't go back in life, only forward. So what is your bowl of stew? What is competing with your integrity right now? What are you talking yourself into that those who love you are trying to talk you out of? Let me frame it another way. What is competing for your preferred future? It's the answer to where do you see yourself in five or 10 years, relationally, socially, emotionally, financially? You know, tell me what you're doing today that might not be illegal. Maybe it's a bit immoral, but you don't want anyone else to know about it because, well, it's not that big a deal. You tell me what you're doing today and I'll predict your future. We live in community with others, family, friends, colleagues, neighbours, church. Life is never just about me or you. It's always us. Integrity is always a personal choice, yeah, but it never has a private outcome.
So here's this week's integrity phrase. What's your bowl of stew? My heart is that you begin to right-size your integrity today. You matter to God. You matter to others. You should matter to yourself. As we continue in worship, we're going to sing Run to the Father. Let the words guide you today. The song says, I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again. Whether it's a bowl of stew that you ate long ago, or one you want today. Let your yes be yes and act with integrity. Play the movie forward. Think it through. Seek wise counsel and admit your appetites. Don't trade your tomorrow for today. As we worship, come to our Heavenly Father. Seek His forgiveness and grace for a fresh start.